My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Okay, welcome to the Fee-for-Service Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Today I have a special guest, a good friend of mine. We go way back to the early 80s in University of Buffalo Dental School. Dr. Ron Kaminer is a classmate of mine, graduated in 89 um, with, our, with our class. And did I think he did you do residency, Ron? I did two years at North Shore Hospital in New York. Well, I thought, okay, two year residency. And since that time, he has gone on to become an outstanding speaker in the dentistry world. I think he started in lasers. He kind of became a one of the leading lecturers on the voice of lasers. He now will speak on most any topic. He does a lot with catapult. He does a lot in many areas. And today our topic is going to be all about practice purchase and practice ownership. Ron has two practices that he owns in the Long Island area, one's in Hewlett, one's in Oceanside, and he is in the process of acquiring a couple more, and we've had a lot of fun with him on Facebook Live, so today we're going to get him on podcast. Welcome. How you doing? Let's do this. I'm doing great. World of, world of, whirlwind of things, but I'm great. Right? And I see, your, I see your schedule in the background over your shoulder is probably chock full. I've probably, probably got all kinds of color coded and everything, but... Ryan is a very busy guy. He He's the definition of you want something done, give it to a busy person. So, um, and he and I have been in a lot of communication throughout the whole pandemic. I remember this going on and that going on and with New York state and all the laws and what came down and, and we did sort of, when, when the fog cleared, we did talk about, there's going to be some practices that people are going to sell and they, they're just going to, you know, get out of this and, and, and nerves and fear and whatever and were you interested and were you going to pursue it? And we talked about that. So we have a lot of conversations that we've had. So let's start by saying, talk a little bit, give us some background, Ron. Tell us about your situation right now. So I own two offices in New York on Long Island, both purchased originally one about 30 years ago, 28 years ago, the other one about 26 years ago. The, my first practice I purchased myself a couple of years later, about six miles away, a friend of mine, Dennis, and I purchased another practice together. Both of us had other offices. We had an associate in there back in the in the mid-90s, so to speak. Realized after a couple of years of growing that from a very small practice to still a small practice, we needed a, to get a partner in. So we brought a partner in early on for no investment. Openly, 30 years later, that practice is a substantially large practice and she doesn't love that deal anymore because um the way it was weighted was that him and i weren't going to do a lot over the years and 
still get money out of it. And she was going to do a lot. And listen, she didn't have any money to get in. So we let her in for nothing as an equal partner day one. And the contract was clear that we weren't going to do a lot and go forward. And when the practice goes in 25 years from $450,000 to almost 3 million and the other partners are taking a good amount of money, not doing a lot. Uh, she doesn't love that deal anymore, but it's still been a flourishing practice. My other practice is myself and an associate and recently another associate, which we'll talk about through practice acquisition. And that's been in the, in the same range and close to 3 million bucks. And I'm buying another one now in a very unique situation. I just bought another one this past week <laughs> in a very unique situation, which you know about and we can discuss. So talk about how you said, let's talk about the first practice you were mentioning where you and a partner, uh, you know, purchased it. And then you brought in another partner who basically, what, sweat equity. How, how, talk about how you arranged that deal. What was the deal? So we're talking now mid-1990s, right? And these deals right. were still not so common. But my my close friend and I who bought the practice, he had a large insurance practice in the 90s with three non-working partners, people that brought him in in the same kind of situation. They said, listen, we're going to bring you in. You're going to be equal from day one, but you're going to give us money in perpetuity. And he said, my philosophy was, as long as I was making a lot of money, I didn't care about giving them because they gave me my chance. And, and we kind of followed that scenario. We, we, we let her in literally for nothing, for a $5,000 down payment or 10,000 bucks just to lock her into something. It wasn't about the money. And she was an immediate partner in a half a million dollar practice from the get-go. So, so, so the practice at that point was worth about a half a million dollars? It was doing about 450 grand, 480 grand. And at that time we purchased it, it was doing 250. It was two dentists, again, an unfortunate situation. One dentist committed suicide and the other dentist didn't want to practice really anymore. So it took us a couple of years. I, I pursued it because it was in a good community, not far away from my practice, not far away from my other partner's practice. Initially, he came in and did a lot of paperwork in the office, looked at insurance papers, made sure supervising the staff and whatnot. And I was working three days a week while working three days a week, while working four days a week almost in my other practice. So I was working seven days in the, in the, in the old days, something you probably don't see anyone ever doing either six days today and when you, and when you do the math when you add three and four it does come up to seven yeah it does come out to seven and, and there was never enough days and there's still never enough days but so we did that for a good number of years brought her in and we basically signed a deal that said we're going to be equal partners in the business we'll each take a nominal salary the sal salary even though it's nominal will be weighted a little higher towards the working partner not much higher but a little higher and then we would split profits 40, 40, 20, where that partner would get 40, I would get 40 because I was kind of still the work working at that time and I did for many, many years. And the non-working partner got 20% of profits. And very honestly, over time, the deal got busted up a little bit in the sense that I've done less and she's done less and the other partner never comes in anymore. But it's been riding out because, you know, as you mentioned, I do work with a lot of dental companies, I brought a lot of intangibles into that practice through free supplies, free materials, free equipment, 
substantially discounted equipment. So I, I definitely built that practice in other ways, not always producing dollars, but it's, it, it's, it's work. Listen, for the most part, it's work. We've had our ups and downs and right now we're having a couple of issues as you know, but um, it, it's, it's working, it's, it's been working. And, and the practice continues to grow. And we've brought in other associates now into the practice. We have another full-time associate plus another part-time associate and that practice does grow. Okay. So, so at this point, have you changed the 40, 40, 20 now that you're not working as much? We, so we haven't done it yet. We're in the midst of discussions of kind of creating some sort of a better equity situation and also possibly looking to sell it. Okay. So, but when you came in, when she joined, did she, did she do any due diligence? Did she look at the value? Like, did she say, okay, listen, the practice is doing about a half million dollars. Uh, you know, in a good market, it's worth about, let's say, let's just say it's worth 450. So if I came in and is equal, I'd have to come up with 150. His, you know, Ron's 150, the other partner's 150. Okay. I'm not coming up with that. Uh, I mean, did she, was that at all discussed? I, I you know, it was Her way part? back when I, I don't really totally remember, but I do remember she didn't have any money. Yeah. She was recommended to us through a friend. And I think she looked at it where is she going to become an equal partner at 28 back in 1990 something without putting out two cents out of her pocket and she just jumped at the opportunity because right away back then she was going to make six figures you know low six figures but six figures right from the get-go day one mm -hmm. right out of school so in the 90s the future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients if you need help starting your membership plan or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. When you don't have a lot of money, that became pretty attractive. Today, you obviously can't do a lot with that. But for her, I don't know that she did as much due diligence. We did draw up an LLP. We did draw, draw up contracts, of course. So it was all done legit. You know, there, yeah. was no, there was no secrets. Yeah. But I'm not so sure how much due diligence she did. She looked at it more here's an opportunity that I'm never going to get from anybody else. So I'm going to jump at it. Well, we talked about it. I mean, to be, to be a, a full owner, right. To have full skin in the game, really. And you haven't put any skin in the game. That's, that's a, that's a little bit of a gift. So that has to be, you know, a, 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 a comp compensated for somewhere in there. So and funny, to, her, to her credit, she really built that. I and mean, I helped, but she built that practice. She's been working it for, for 25 years and it's, and it's and it's matured six times, you know, six, you know, a six-fold increase, more right. than that, maybe a six and a half fold. So you give her credit for for that. She she's worked hard, and right. and and has gotten good. Uh, you know, she's she's done well with it. There's no question. Right, and as an owner, she's going to get some of the profits from associates, et cetera. She's going to get some of the profits, be it from hygiene or whatever sources, as well as what she produces. So Correct. she kind of it's kind of a win-win. Um, do you guys split up any other responsibilities of running the practice? Um, so I do a little bit. She kind of pays the bills and whatnot because she's their way off. And uh, we're going to change some of those things now. I'm going to take over all the financial part of the practice and probably do even less than I'm doing clinically there because I'm just busy in, in my new venture and whatnot. But I'm going to take over all the financial aspect of the practice at this point and pay all the bills and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to shift some roles, I think. And and my guess is within a couple of years, we'll probably look to sell it. So talk about now your other practice, your primary practice, the one that's in Hewlett. Talk yeah, so about that. That, How did that work a, out? 
that so was that's been a, that was an interesting ride. So back in 1994 or so, my dad helped me purchase the practice. We it was a dentist practicing out of the basement of his house. Um, three operations. I did the exact same thing. Basement of a of a raised ranch. Yep. There you go. Ten so, one ninety one. I just celebrated thirty years. But go ahead. It's amazing. So bought that. Immediately moved it two blocks away to a professional building, and started just doing my thing and growing that practice. Never had a hygienist. We put a hygienist in right away. We grew that practice over a ten year period, and then I decided I was hiding in a medical building, and no one knew where I was. So about after our 10-year lease expired, we moved two towns away, probably about a mile and a half away to a shopping center location where we have visibility and continue to grow it. And about, I'd say 10, 11 years ago, I purchased a very small, the assets of a very small practice, very nice guy. He, he was a, predominantly a TMJ dentist, but he did a lot of full mouth openings of verticals things like that for a long time this is 10 years ago this is about 10 years ago okay 10 11 years ago and he couldn't practice anymore doing uh traditional dentistry only his tmj stuff because of some disability so i purchased that practice it was mostly records of patients but he continued to rent space in my office until about two years ago for about eight years he rented space a day a week doing his tmj stuff so i acquired that for Practice is doing, I think, very small at the time, about $275,000. I think I paid about 50, 60 grand for it and really just buying patients. And, and But he was going to pay rent in my office and a thousand bucks a month. So over eight years, I got $100,000 of that back. He didn't use a lot of materials. So that kind of worked out really, really nicely. And we continued to grow it till a few years ago. I got approached by a close friend of mine who purchased a close friend who was a periodist who practices one town over a mile away and he purchased the practice of the highest fee-for-service practice in our community it was a panky dentist the guy that he purchased from and his philosophy was as a periodist he doesn't want to lose a few hundred grand a year in referral of implants if someone goes in there and there's a super dentist let's say like you that's going to place dentist that place implants he didn't want to lose that so he purchased the practice, ran it for a year, put a prosthodontist in there right away. That prosthodontist left after three months, hired another prosthodontist. And he realized after a year doing it, that even though he was making money, he was getting such a bad rap for being a periodist involved in a GP practice and he needed to sell it. So he approached me and he said, do you want to buy it? And I said, no. He said, why not? I said, it's the highest fee for service practice in town. I would never buy it in the first place. And now that you bought it and it's changed hands and they've had multiple associates, it's damaged goods. I don't really want it. So he said to me, think about it. I'll make you a screaming deal. So I, so he said, make me an offer. Now, <laughs> if someone says to Cameron, even when you're a friend, make me an offer. <laughs> Cameron is going to come in pretty darn low in this situation if he wants to make an offer but I still didn't want to buy it. So he started bugging me after like four months later, just make me an offer. The practice is doing about 700 grand, 730, but it's all fee for service. So it's not on a lot of patients because the fees are just so ridiculously high. And so I said, listen, if you really want to get rid of it, I'll buy it for 300. And I said at 300, I know I can't get hurt. He said, okay, no problem. 
It was a, I made a mistake. I showed off from 250 because he made a snap decision at 300. No problem. But so I, so I purchased it. And, and there were a few blocks away and I immediately moved it into my existing facility. And it came with a prosthodontist who was a very good dentist and two hygienists, two part-time hygienists. One hygienist left me within three or four weeks and stole a bunch of patients. The other hygienist is still with me and the process is still with me. And on that 300 investment, the first year we grossed out of those numbers, about 700 grand, about the same amount of money. And we're continuing to see those patients. So that was a pretty good acquisition. And about, I'd say during COVID, another local dentist, friend of mine, older gentleman, late 70s, decided he wanted to sell his practice, doing about three and change, 340, 350. And I offered him, I think, 150, 160 grand for it. And he thought I was crazy during COVID. I said, it's COVID. I don't know what's, how long you're going to stay closed. Yeah. And, he, and, he walked, and he walked away from it. Well, turns out not only was he closed for three months during COVID, he had back surgery in the middle of that. And he was closed for an initial two and a half months. He was closed for about five months. Well, come January of this year, he came back to me again and said, hey, I'm ready. And I said to him, and I'm not going to mention his name, but I said, well, I'm ready too, but the deal's not the same anymore. You were closed for five months. He goes, well, what's the deal now? I said, well, I'll offer you 45 grand for it. And I'll and, and he was gonna go to Florida, he's going to Florida this Christmas for three months. And I said, I'll I'll pay you 60% of what you collect till you go away to Florida. If you collect a lot of money, you take the risk. I'm not taking the risk. You want to see the patients collect the money? I'll pay it. I'll overpay you. And grudgingly, he took the deal. So, and that's been a home run because. The second patient we saw there is doing $70,000 of work. So, and he's not doing the work. My other process is doing it because he's going to Florida and he can't finish it. So we, we've acquired decent, small grossing practices for not a lot of assets, not a lot of money, and just built, building in the bottom line and, and acquiring patients. You know, I look at it to spend 40, 50 grand on a practice doing 300, potentially doing 300 grand. Think of how much marketing you'd have to spend in order to generate that 300 grand. And that's, that's what I did. I just acquired patients and they're, and they're coming in and, and they're coming in for recare. Now, the problem with both these practices are they're both mature practices. So I joke and I say my window could be three or four years because a lot of these people are either going to move or pass away. So it's not, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a great long-term investment, but I think for what I paid, I, could, I can't get hurt. So you bought, now these are two practices you bought within the span of a year? A year. Right? Okay. Now, how did you work it out from a physical plant standpoint? Did you, first of all, did you put it all, it, it, it all joined into your ULIT practice, your primary practice? Yeah, and that's what I did. And the space has been tough. We have seven operatories and the space has been tough on, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, all seven rooms are used all day long. So there's not room for emergencies and things like that. I have three hygienists and myself and two other dentists, maybe six of the seven are being used all day long. Now it's great because it's a machine we're producing, but it's pressure on the front desk team. You know, there's, 
there's always someone coming to the front. There's no, there's never time because when the hygiene is done, one hygiene's done, they get to the front, the next hygiene's done. Now a dentist releases a patient. It, it's a constant workflow. You know, our, our physical facility is 2,500 square feet. So it's not like I have eight, 10,000, 6,000 square feet to, to do this in, but it just creates some hecticness, needs some organization and it's working but I'm not gonna say it's not tight. Now he's gonna to go to Florida for three and a half months. That's gonna open up an operatory Mondays and Wednesdays, right? Mondays and Thursdays, I think right away. So that's gonna be a big difference. That well, that extra room makes the world of difference. And um, so it's been busy, but with that, I've hired another associate with my other associates already in my practice. So I'm hiring around to try to take care of the business because I got two hands. And I'm buying, I just bought another practice. So it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy, huh? <laughs> it's just starting to get crazy. Okay. I'm going to remember that quote. So now, now, now explain to me because you offered the guy that's going to Florida 60% of what he did. How has that worked out for him in these four months? Has it been so months? I think it's worked out. How much, how much time? Well. About? We closed in. We close in March or early April. So let's say you have four months or so. Yeah. Listen, it's worked out as best as it could work out for him in the sense that he, he is not, he's an older guy. He's very conservative. He's not a great treatment planner, but he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And, he, and I think being so conservative to a fault, but it's worked well for him because, you know, he eats what he kills, right? We talk about this all the time. And he eats and, and, and he gets 60% of that, which is a high. And I gave him that number because I knew I was buying the practice for a small amount of money and I didn't want to incur the risk. If people weren't coming in because he was out for five months and his $330,000 practice went down to 160, then okay, 45 plus he generates another, he makes another 100 or 80 over the next, my number's right if it's the right number. Right. So I think it's worked out okay. I, I think the only problem is, is that he regrets doing the deal, I think, certain days. Because he got to a point where he had to sell. And I was the only one that was biting. And listen, my dad used to always say to me, you know what I say, when there's opportunity, there's opportunists. And I was an opportunist in that area. Well, and, let me ask you this. He, he also relocated where he practiced, right? He did, but it was only about five blocks away, my office did. But, but I'm just saying that that's probably the biggest issue. That's that's a big change, right? You're used to cooking in my kitchen, and now I got to cook in your kitchen, you know, and, and things. Has he Does he have the same materials at his disposal, or how's that work? I, I, he has the same materials. I built a lab for him downstairs in my basement. His staff is still with me. I really, and, and he's said to me multiple times, you've been great. It's me. He goes, I'm having a hard time. And he's getting better. You're right about that. But he's getting better. The reality is he's he's gone from a Hilton Garden Inn, you know, to a Four Seasons yeah. because he, he's working in an office now that has every bit of technology, most of which he doesn't use. But he's got electric hand pieces now where he can work with, which he never used before. And as a prosthodontist, yeah, you, you're cutting down teeth all day. So his digs have been upgraded dramatically, but it's been hard for him. The adjustment hasn't been easy, but I think that's been getting better. But by the time he's adjusted, he'll be going to Florida. He may want to come back and practice a little bit and 
you know, I, I think I'll let him come back a day a week out of the two if he wants. So, so when he goes, the plan is for him to basically fully retire at that point. That's the well, plan. we, we kind of left it. I kind of said that if we really want to come back, you know, after that, I mean, he's 70, he'll be 78 years old. If he wants to come back a little bit. We'll discuss it. And maybe I'll let him back one out of the two days. Cause I, I'm a nice guy and I feel bad. I don't want to want to cut anybody off. You know, I would hope someone would do that to me if you want. He's not affecting me. You know, the only thing is my office manager will say on some days they're running a practice within a practice. And I'll tighten the rules when he comes back a little bit. But when he comes back, it's written in the contract that his 60 goes down to 40%. So that 60% is only for that six-month window. It's not in perpetuity. Right. So now I'll be getting but 40%. You said that. You, you and, and I'll have to be okay with that. Yeah. So that's so that's so now do you keep your records? Um do you put everything all into one bad database? Do, do you have a practice within a practice, or can you honestly say, hey, this practice is now generating X, or is it now just a portion of your you know larger practice? It's in the portion of my larger practice, but we separate his and hygiene production within it. So I can see it's been doing about twenty-five, twenty-six thousand dollars a month on his patients, but he's also passed off a few patients to me and to my other prosthodontist, one of which is a $70,000 case. Now, yeah, I sold the case. I closed it, mm -hmm. but it was, the patient was referred to him, mm -hmm. but I closed that case and, and, and passed it on to my prosthodontist. So he actually mentioned to me something the other day and he said to me, I'm, you know, I messed up. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I passed the patient on to you because I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not getting anything out of it. That was what, that's what he said to me. And he's right. He's not, but what are you going to do? Send it out of the office somewhere else out of spite. Cause you're not getting it out anything out of it. The whole, I purchased you for a reason. I purchased your name. I didn't purchase necessarily. I purchased his practice, but I also purchased his name, the referral source that would feed well. into my business. But that's I, I well. said to him, I said to him, I said, you're here still. You prep the case. I'm not telling you don't prep the case. I'll pay you a third of that case fee for prepping it and someone else will finish it. I, I'm not looking to take away business from him. That's the last thing I want to do, but he's conservative. And so he wouldn't have done it anyway. Bottom line is we paid for that practice. Right. But if he was doing, you said about three fifty, and if he's doing about 25 a month, he's down about, he's down to about 300. So it's not a huge drop off for a change like that. Yeah, no, right. it's, it's not a big drop off. And part of it has to do with him being so, so, so conservative. I mean, if you and I were seeing all those patients, we'd be doing 650 on those people. Not that we're aggressive, but we're just doing the dentistry. Broken amalgams don't become MODBL amalgams. They become a buildup in a crown. And yeah. it's just doing the dentistry, I think. And, and maybe he's, you know, and he does dentistry. Don't get me wrong. And he's a very good dentist. But his treatment plan has gone to become so conservative that he's more in a patchwork mode than he is in a restorative mode. Now, how many team members did he bring along? A hygienist and anybody else? Hygienist and assistant in the front desk. All long-term staff. So will the assistant only work with him? Did she stay? What happened there? Yeah, she pretty much only works with him right now. She works the days that he works, which is two days a week, because she works in other offices. The front desk and the hygiene the same way. I hope the hygienist will stay. When he's gone, she travels from far away. I'm treating her really, really well. So I hope she'd stay And hygiene, as you know, right now is impossible to hire. So it'll hurt me if she's not there, 
but can't force someone to be where they don't want to be. So I don't know what's going to be, but I hope she'll stay. Gotcha. All right. So now you've got that practice and the other practice that you was added after that one, the other one. Yes. Oceanside was added two years later. Okay. All and right. By the way, um, I just, no, 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 um, no. You said you added two practices within the last. Yeah, two three. practices into Hewlett. Correct. So this is the last one I've added into Hewlett. And just this Friday, separate from anything, I don't think I told you this, I closed on a record deal for Oceanside. So we purchased the assets of a practice. He moves in next week with his records. $150,000 practice. We paid forty grand for it. And he's moving in just records. No staff, nothing, just records. And he's not coming with it. He's coming for, for two months, finished a few cases, and he's done. Okay. What's his schedule work now? He works two days a week from 10 to 4, something like that. So two, two half days a week. So he's going to come in and do those two half days with you? Correct. Okay. And he's okay with the change in location? Yeah. He's, he's all, it's in the same town, just the other end of town. All right. How about his setup? Because you said the, the one doc really came from a – uh, we'll call it a Spartan practice. Now he has a practice. He called it for, <laughs> he went from an econolodge to a four seasons. All right. So where's this other guy? Where's he coming from? I bought the assets. I've never seen it. I never stepped foot in the office. So he, you have no idea. He was sharing space with a dentist in a whole office and it wasn't going to impact the sale because I'm not taking anything from there. I never stepped foot in the place. He sent me his two years of tax returns and his right. production numbers for this year. I sure. said, here's an offer, here's done. I didn't have evaluations. I, I just looked at some numbers. It's 40 grand, ain't gonna make a difference, make or break me. As long as I, he told me he has at least eight or nine implants out that need to be restored, that's gonna come back at $1,800 or two grand a tooth. That's getting me back 20 out of the money. It's a no brainer, you write it off, it's, it's, a, it's a no brainer deal. So let me ask you this, right? So you, you, did, you did this, you have this practice coming in. With the and you added there was another practice in there that you also added in the COVID situation that we didn't get a lot of details on. Talk about the fee schedules and the fee structure. Do you now have four different fee schedules? How are you working that as a business? Yeah, so that gets a little tricky. So right, that's let's, talk, let's talk Hewlett first. And Hewlett, I have that 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 this high end fee for service practice whose my fees are good. His fees were thirty percent higher than mine. And the one I just purchased in Hewlett, his fees were about 20%, 15% lower than mine. So the, the one I just purchased, the one with lowers, we've, on many of the fees, we've raised them to ours. And people don't really know the difference. 15%, they're not going to know. The hygiene fees, they will know. And we're running two separate fee schedules. His are a little lower than mine, but we've kept that. The high fee for service practice, I mean, Sonny, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to drop those fees because they're much higher than mine. And those people already know what they were paying and they were paying it. So, yeah, we, we are running kind of my fee schedule, the high fee schedule, and an abridged fee schedule on this dentist. And over time, we're merging them all together. But the high one, we're keeping high because those people were paying it all along. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that could be an administrative nightmare. So now... Now we're going to get a little crazy and you're going to add another practice, right? So talk yeah, so about this now. So what's so this? Now, so I gave a lecture last week in Virginia 
and, and I told the, I started with the group saying, and I'm going to pull this out, Sonny, give me a second, because I happen to have ordered it, and I have this here. Um, are we going to be video or just audio when we do this? Just audio, just audio. All right, anyway, so I got this game called Wooly Willy. And Wooly Willy is the game where you had this little red stick with a magnet and metal shavings. Yeah, 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 yeah. You draw that guy. Yeah, you make it weird. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I told the group, I'm like, you know, I feel like Wooly Willy because I feel like we plan and God laughs because we think we're going to do all these things and then we're pulled in different directions. So four years ago, I started communicating with a dentist in a town where my office manager is from. It is. A town called Breezy Point. It's a very unique town. They kind of joke and call it the Irish Riviera because it sits up between the bay and the ocean overlooking New York City. There's 2,500 homes. I'd say about 2,200 full time. And I knew nothing about the dentist, nothing about the practice. I just knew my office manager was from there. Her family's from there. And I said, that'd be a cool place to build a practice. Well, four years ago, I communicated with him. He wasn't ready. He said, reach out to me in a year. Did it again, wasn't ready. I let it go for a while during COVID in December. He said, reach out to me this summer, early summer. I might be ready by then. So I waited till late summer. I waited till August 11th and I, and I reached out. I said, Bill, do you want to have coffee? He said, sometime this month, just not sure. Let's be in touch. And about eight days later, he unfortunately had a heart attack and, and, passed, and, and passed away. So listen, I like to buy these things but I'm not obnoxious and I'm a nice guy. I'm not an animal. I'm not going to go to the widow because I didn't know the widow at all. I knew this guy and I figured, you know, I'm done, you know, whatever. I, I, I you know, it wasn't meant to be. Well, two days after the funeral, I get a call from the brother and it says, Dr. Kavanagh, hi, my name's Kevin. My brother just passed away. He's a dentist in Breezy Point. I was going through his old emails and I found an email from last December that you were communicating. Are you still interested in buying the practice and now i'm thinking that guy upstairs must have a plan for me he, i'm wooly willy right now he's he's taking me around and i'm like yeah okay no problem the issue was that he passed away in august it was about three weeks now since and you know what happens when someone passes away mm -hmm. it's everyone starts to flee pretty quickly that but this was a unique community so i wasn't so concerned because even though it's in a medical building in the community he was a very, people were very loyal to him. And there was an associate in place there for 15 years, a woman who was still, who was still staying there. And so, so I wasn't super concerned, but I wanted to get the ball rolling. But when there's, someone passes away, there's a lot of legal rigmarole. Bottom line, bottom line, the practice was doing in 19, let's forget 20 because of COVID, it was doing 380. This year, it had collected $170,000 through six months. <clears throat> so it's going to do three forty, And I offered them fifty grand, and they said yes. Now, I had not seen the office. I had not seen the accounts receivable. I looked at tax returns, and I said, someone passes away, I'm going to offer them just a couple of nickels because I don't need this. And if they bite, they bite. And if I'm willy-willy and it's meant to be, it's going to be meant to be. Well... So they said, yes. I'm like, okay, can I go see the office now? Well, I got to the office, the office is a disaster. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's 1980s decor, it needs a full reno. But I'm like, all right, I still got $350,000 for 50 grand, not a bad deal. I mean, we're talking no digital x-rays, 
one computer in the office, old software program, a lot of infrastructure is needed. So I closed on that deal about 10 days ago. I've worked there a couple of days. The associate's been working and now I got to figure it out. And, and this is, you know, I've never had a clearer vision for a practice in my life, except for the fact I can only be in four places at once, not five. And this puts me in a, in, in a place where it's hard to be at. So I can be there a little bit. The associate could be there, but I'm going to have to hire somebody because I know once I make the place nice, the old line, if you build it, they will come. If I build it, they're going to come. It's just, I got to figure out now the infrastructure and how to get it done. And some people would say, how do you go ahead and buy something and not have your infrastructure in place? Well, he has a couple of part-time employees in there. He didn't have hygienists, didn't have an assistant. I don't know how they practice without an assistant, but they didn't have an assistant. So I'm kind of left. And that was part of my offer. I knew I was going in there literally on, you know, with, with basically a clean slate without, with not a lot of assistance here. That all factors into the number. There's no transfer of staff. The front desk has been there for six years part-time. The, the other woman's been there for a year and a half. There's not a real transfer. I'm going in here. It's like, it's like a startup. Now, what's the, a startup. So what's the plan? The plan is to close, close the practice, have them come visit your other office for the meantime, and well, then you're going to renovate? What's the plan? So that's the problem. I don't have my plan in place yet. So I could renovate the way it is, and renovate one side of the office at a time, but it's, the office will be less functional that way. I'm likely going to have to close the facility for six weeks or seven weeks and suck it up. And whatever I lose, I lose. If they can come to me, they come to me. If not, I suck. I'll just suck it up. The funny part is, and you know this, I went and looked at another practice a mile away this week. Just And, and, and I said to myself, going in, if they have one year, a one-year lease or less on the place, I'll just do it if it's not crazy, because then I'll move everybody here while I'm working. Well, they have a three-year lease on the place. It's a very small office, and I'm likely not going to pull the trigger on it. But I'm always thinking and looking. I, I think at the end of the day, for me to do this right, I'm going to have to gut it and move things and move walls and move bathrooms to get it right and suck it up and look at it. Well, even if I paid 50 grand for the thing, I derived some income initially, and I got to start from semi-scratch. It's not a bad gig. If I, if I can't build a practice in a town of 20, 2,500 families directly across from a large church, then I'm in big trouble. Well, let me ask you this, right? This, this is going to be a, this one here is going to truly be another office physical location. No matter what you do, you're going to maintain this location, correct? That's correct. So you're going to have, you're going to have Hewlett and Oceanside. And now you're adding, this is essentially going to be a third correct. location. But you've added multiple other, you've you've uh, cannibalized multiple other practices within these. Is there any chance that the one you just bought the records of will go to this location or no? It's way too far away. I can't do it. Okay. It's way too far away. The one I bought the records of is going to stay in Oceanside. I, I have to look at this practice as, so, so a few more things about this practice. Very, very nice guy. The community is a working class community. Cops, firemen, nurses, PAs, civil service workers, and a bunch of professionals mixed in, accountants, things like that. The practice was never open evenings. He, you know, he, he didn't really serve the community as well as I'd like to serve the community. Uh, 
you know me, I'm a charitable guy. I give, they, my name's going to be become synonymous in that community doing a bunch of different things. I'm going to do some of the things that I learned from you, you know, doctors with a heart. I'm going to do stuff like that in that community. That, that's that's going to resonate in that community mm-hmm. because there are, there are a lot of people around there that don't have money and we're going to give away. So we're going to do a lot of things and we're, we're going to market ourselves there as to the point where you, you're going to have to pass my office to go somewhere else. And you're going to need a pretty darn good reason to pass that office. Cause we're going to be, you know, we're, we're going to be the shit in town. That's the bottom line. <laughs> so the office, let's just take it. Let's, let's say ideal. Does the office have enough to provide that setting or are you going to need to add more space? So, so that's the biggest problem. Once you start, start to get into the boroughs, Queens, New York, Brooklyn, space is a premium and it's a small office. I'm going to have to try to figure out how to maximize growth in a four operatory, 1,000 square foot office. So it's going to be really tight. Now, the interesting part is a lot of the people in that community, if they need a specialist, they'll travel the 30 minutes to my community because that's where the, be- the closest best specialists are. So could I move people there that need a cone beam? Could I send them to my Hewlett office? I could. Would I prefer a cone beam here? Because so, that's I live and eat and breathe cone beam like you? Yes. So I may sacrifice a private office and make it tiny. I, you know, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I, I got to get it. You know, you know, all of us look at our dental practices as, as a space that's there from nine to five or nine to six, whatever it is. Some dentists three days a week, four days a week. But if you look at the office as being a seven in the morning to a 10 o'clock at night potential facility, it's not going to be, but let's just say, and I can get dentists in there eight to eight, four days a week and eight to three on Fridays and eight to two on Saturdays. I've covered a lot of hours for people in that office. I, I, and I can maximize the four operatories in shifts and provide specialty work, implant people, anodontists, pedodontists in there and provide it in shift. So that's kind of where my vision is going in there. I got to lay it all out, have GPs there majority of times, but also have some specialty in one of the operatories. Now, do you have any plans to, to, to mimic your plan that you did when you bought with the partner and you brought the doc in? Is there, is there any in the back of your mind since that worked? Is there any thought that, hey, I might try this again? Yeah, I, there's no question that's in my mind. It's really a decision. Do I want to build this for a few years and triple the practice, which I believe I'll do, and then sell the whole thing? Or do I want to bring a young dentist in there and make them a partner? And I actually interviewed somebody on Friday that I think you're is excited a about potential that. superstar. I mean, she's young and she's got a lot to learn, but she has what I call the it factor. And she could be somebody that I could if she accepts the position and wants to do this, somebody that I could groom into doing that, but ultimately she only wants to work three days a week. So I'd have to weigh that as well. All right. So I'm a young dentist. I got, let's see, I graduated my GPR because I want to practice in New York state. Um, I've got two years working as an associate um, part-time in a fee for service practice, part-time in an insurance or PPO practice. Now I'm ready to do my own thing. What's your advice? So number one, if you're looking to buy, do your due diligence on the community. 
just no say that again. Wait, 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 wait. Due diligence on the, on the community. Com- on the community where you're buying. So when I bought Breezy Point, I hadn't slept in three weeks. I'm up at 3.30 in the morning and I'm researching. My wife looks over to me and says, you're out of your mind. And I started doing demographic research. 2,500 homes, 2,300 full-timers. How many people um, are working families? How many people are- income, right? Yeah. Right, and just see what you got. For, see, see the lay of the land. Next thing I want to do is, how many dentists do I have in, in three square miles? So in my Hewlett office, I got 80 dentists in three square miles. So that's a bad, bad number, but there's a ton of people there. In Breezy Point, there's one dentist in Breezy, and that's Ron Kaminer. And there's probably within two miles away, two and a half, another couple of dentists. But the Rockaway Peninsula, which expands about six, seven miles, has a bunch of dentists, but five or six retired in the last three or four years. And they've only been replaced by one. So there's people to be served. So I would try to get a demographic search on number one, how many people need service in your community? Mm-hmm. Next thing is, I would look at financial demographics. Who are you serving? Are you serving the rich? Are you serving the poor? Are you serving the middle class in between? If you're serving the poor, that means if you're not going to take things like Medicaid and things like that, you're done. So that's not going to work. If you're serving the rich, now can you walk the walk? Can you deliver and get good fees? Because if you may be a nice kid or and a good dentist, but you're a couple of years out, can you deliver to the highly particular patient? And trust me, <laughs> the practice that I bought of high fee for service, I can deliver. And I have a hard time sometimes delivering to these people because they're so demanding. Now, again, I when you said to me about fee schedules, I said, well, I didn't change that fee schedule because I'm getting paid a PIA fee, you know, a pain in the ass fee. I'm getting paid for that. So you got to look and see what's your community. Your middle-class people are going to be the best. They're, you know, they're going to be good to you. They're going to bring you cakes. How many cakes do you get a week and, and, and stuff like that? You know, they're going to be great. The high ones are going to, the, the high fee for service, the, the upper middle class, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of people? They could be nice people, but you're going to have a lot of pressure when it comes to that. You got to be able to deliver. So I think you have to look at person demographics. And then you have to also say to yourself, what type of dentistry do I want to practice? It doesn't mean good or bad. Do you want to work in a three operatory office with a hygienist, see a patient every hour and a half, and just take your time and do stuff? Or do you want to be like you or I, where we're doing a whole bunch of things going on in a given day and we're busy? and seeing a good number of people during the day and run that kind of a practice. That's gonna depend on your facility and what you wanna do. To me, when I'm sitting around, I'm bored. I need to be moving and shaking all day long. I I gotta be, I'm I'm going from one room out, seeing an emergency in the other and, and and I'm moving all day long. So I think the dentist has to look at that. You know, it's funny you said that cause I, I was, I caught this little clip this morning and it was it was a Tony Robbins, and he was talking about ask. You know, it's in it's in the Bible. Ask, and you shall receive. He says, but you need to ask specifically. You know, you need to know what you're going to ask for. So, in other words, what do you want your practice to be and look like? You need to. You really need to define that, and then 
will it be can you make it be and then what will it take to get there i don't know if enough people spend enough time making those decisions you know yeah listen, I, I totally agree and i think sunny also to the fact they also have to look at the fact to see can they communicate are they good communicators can they can they reach those patients i want to read you a quick quote that I saw a couple weeks ago in one of our Facebook groups, and I talk about this all the time, but to see this, in, in, in the 80s, there was, a, there was a great speaker. I don't know if you got a chance to hear him. His name was Avram King. He was very, very well known, and he spoke about practice management. And what he said was that fine dentistry was behaviorally self-limited. And what he meant by that was, regardless of the dentist's technical expertise, unless they had the requisite behavioral skills to communicate, including the ability to profoundly listen to their patients, the technical skills would go largely unused. And you think about that, and you now that same kid is doing all his research, right? He thinks he's a great dentist, but they're introverts or they're not great communicators. And you could do all that pre-planning, but if you don't have that it factor, like I told you I had in this woman I saw the other day, right. you're gonna struggle. And I don't care how good a dentist you are, where you're going, what community, you're gonna struggle. So you have to look at, you have to be able to look at yourself and say, I need to go to Toastmasters. I need to take a communication course. I need to get better at speaking because that's to me, and I speak, you know, I speak to thousands of dentists on an annual basis. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you the one consistent factor that I found is the ones that do well are the ones that have that it factor and the ones that don't just don't have the it factor or they think they have the it factor, but they really don't. Well, you, you remember when we were in dental school, right? You remember like the labs and then people struggled in, 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 in the technique and you're like, oh, they're going to struggle in dentistry. Just It's almost just the opposite. If you have the ability to communicate on a human one-to-one -one level, you can learn. You're, talk, you're talking to that guy, Sonny. Right. I mean, you can learn the skills. I mean, you know, it's just, it's funny because they, they put so much value. And I just talked to my, my cousin, who's a second year dental student and, and what she's at and what they're teaching in schools. And I'm trying to say, listen, you need to learn the skills and that's what they're there for. If you can try to get more than that, try to say, why would you do this? Why would you, wh why would you treatment plan this as a, as an MOD? And why would you do this as a crown? And, and what are some of the alternatives? And what if the patient says, listen, I can't afford that. Where do you go with that? Try to get a deeper level, you know, and, and it's, yeah. it's hard because they have so many skills they got to learn and they focus on it so much. And, and a lot of it, Sonny, is I, I always say, Probably the only way to learn it is got to swim enough laps in the pool, right? You you yeah. got to get you got to get into private practice. You got to be turned down on your treatment plans, and and be able to say, what did I do wrong there? And not that person's a jerk didn't accept my treatment. I don't understand. They got busted teeth. Why didn't they accept my treatment? I can always look thirty years later. I can always look at myself and say that person didn't accept my treatment because I was either rushing. And I didn't have enough time in the appointment or I didn't connect with them. So I was turned off right away and I didn't try, which happens to all of us, I think sometimes. So you got to be able to know and size up that patient the right way. And that just takes time. It takes a lot of time to learn. 
Yeah. And you learn out of your comfort zone. Right. So, you know, like I, I, I remember, you know, the experience in dental school with, with endo, I hated endo. I struggled with it like a son of a gun, but it forced me to do one of two things, right. Either say I'll never do endo or I was going to bust my tail and learn it. And that's what I chose to do. Took it as, you know, minored in it. And, you know, I just spent a lot more time in it and it became no longer this really complicated thing. It became, well, it's pretty damn easy. Um, you know, concept. So it's, you know, I think the one thing that I see is, and we just, I just talked about this this weekend too, with some other relatives was failure. You know, uh, how do you cope with failure? Like if something is not exactly as you deem it would be like, you know, in, in the textbook, you know, here's the mesial, here's the distal MOD. What if you're in there and that distal then runs way up under the lingual cusp, where are you going with that? You know, how do you handle that discussion with the patient? How do you handle it in such a way that the two of you are in this together and you're not, you know, selling him something or her something. You're helping provide a solution or a treatment option that's not viewed as, you know, a, you know, a bag of marbles, you know, a bag of, uh, you know, what magic, you know, magic uh, jelly beans, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, and I think that's where communication skills really come into play. You know, I had a situation last week. My one of my patients came in. My associate, long-term associate, she's not ten years, had a very tough MO composite on fifteen subgingival, the whole deal. Yeah. He's complaining of sensitivity, and I look at it, and the mesolingual margin is short. It yeah. just it was short. It Don't was sub-G. I stuck an explorer, and then it was short. Now, to me, I got to get out of this situation now. Right now, it's communication skills. And I looked at him and I said to him, Steve, I'm going to get you in on Monday. I want to take the filling out and just design it a little bit differently. I'm not going to tell him it was short. I'm not going to throw it under the bus. I want to design it differently. I'm going to put some medicine in there to try to make you feel better. So I put a calcium liner in there. I made sure it was closed. I used a laser to trim that margin so I can get the band down. And I closed it. But you got to be able to dance around that a little bit to not put your associate down and make your associate look you know, wrong. It's a, it, we all have things in our closet, right? I mean, so this is just, I was, able, I was there and have the ability to cover her butt. And I was able just to communicate through it. And all this guy said to me was, thanks so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Otherwise, what do you have? Geographic success? You know, if you move every three years, you know, geez, I, I never have any failure. Why? Because you never see recalls. That's it. <laughs> Or if you live long enough, all the endos are going to fail anyways, at least on a cone beam. So you don't have to worry about endo. <laughs> oh, any last piece of advice? Let's wrap this up. Don't be scared to invest in yourself. The one thing you have is your skill set. And do not be scared. For a young dentist, you're coming out of school today in heavy debt, most of them. And it could be daunting to get into deeper debt. If someone will lend you the money, and you have a strong belief and work ethic, and you're willing to educate yourself, like you did, Sonny, and you, you're always going to courses. You, you know, I've got, done a ton of courses. I now give a ton of courses. But if you're willing to do all those things and invest in yourself, never be scared to invest in yourself because you'll get there. Because you and I were like these people years ago. Best investment you can make is, right, like, is in yourself. And honest to God, if you're going to go down the toilet, wouldn't you rather have your own hand on the flusher? you know absolutely i mean that's that's my feeling so that'll wrap this up all right my friend thank you very much 
Appreciate it very much. I'll have to have you back on. We'll have to pick another topic. This was good stuff. Always fun. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee for Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.